Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you act so sad? Get out of your bag. Serving God, I'm glad. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you act so sad? Get out of your bag. Serving God, I'm glad. I only serve one God. One nation under God. GG is my squad. The Bible is the law. Mike Sapphire Raw. My squad, two, two, one. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It is March 5th. 2021 and welcome to episode five episode five on the fifth it's interesting um, <laughs> welcome to the amen corner podcast my name is michael purvis and i'm your host and alongside me is my co-host uh brother joshua powell josh how you doing today bro i'm doing great and yourself i'm doing good um we're gonna go ahead and get into today's episode of the episode for this week um, I do want to preface this by saying that if you have not had the opportunity to listen to last week's episode, specifically the first trending topic that we covered in that episode, I highly recommend that you go back and do that so that you'll be able to understand the context of our main topic for this episode in which we will be continuing our talks and giving updates about what's going on in the Church of God in Christ general election. Literally after we recorded that last episode from that very day, um, which is that Friday, so from that very day up until, I want to say, literally now, there's been a whole lot of updates that have happened as far as what's, uh, as far as the course of the election, so we want to be able to cover that, but you really won't understand it if you don't go back and listen to last week's episode uh, when we covered it in the trending topics. So, with that being said, let's go ahead and get into this week's trending topics. Now, I do want to say that it has been a while since we've had a pretty positive um, <laughs> trending topic that we've covered on the show. So, I thought I would, I thought I would go ahead and pick something that was pretty positive and not about a pastor stealing or somebody doing something that they ain't had no business doing. So, with that being said, let's go ahead and get into this trending topic. Um, a North Carolina church is building an amphitheater in preparation for future pandemics. A North Carolina church already boasts a six-acre lake on their property announced Sunday that they will add the amphitheater to their sprawling 75-acre campus in Gastonia this summer to be ready for future pandemics that could prevent them from worshiping indoors. Nothing we can do about this virus. This virus is probably not going to go anywhere. There's going to be a COVID-32, a COVID-45. That's just the way it works. It's called a virus, said Dickie Spargo, lead pastor of City Church, as he told his congregation during a Facebook Live broadcast Sunday about the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. For the next one, according to Spargo, his church can be better prepared. It's going to happen, but we can adjust. One of the things as a church that we've chosen to do is say, okay, we've got 75 acres here. Let's worship outdoors. We've got a beautiful lake. You may or may not even know that. We've got a six-acre lake. Let's take it outside, he said before announcing the project. Spargo was not immediately available to discuss the amphitheater with the Christian Post. Contacted his church Thursday, but he told WCNC that they are working on the engineering plans and are in the process of raising $500,000 to cover the estimated construction costs. He said even when the threat of the coronavirus is gone, the amphitheater will continue to be an option to take their worship services outdoors. Hashtag things you can't do in a northern church. (laughs) Because you got to have good weather to be able to do something like that. So, but honestly, I think it's an interesting um, and very smart tactic that uh, the church is taking. We talked about there's something like this in our, uh, not specifically the amphitheater, but the idea that the church is going to have to be thinking outside of the box and doing things new in the pandemic when we talked in our uh, the church versus COVID episode. And even now we're beginning to see the manifestations of how that is 
happening and how churches are beginning to adapt to this new day and age that we're beginning to walk into. So we'll hopefully we'll be able to get some more updates on how that works and maybe we'll be even be able to see more churches that have adequate size and space that are doing somewhat of the same or the similar thing. So yeah, with that being said, we're going to go into our next topic. Um, I thought this was pretty interesting. Um, the Conservative United Methodist plan to break away denomination. Um, the Conservative United Methodists have chosen a name for the denomination they plan to form if a proposal to split the United Methodist Church is successful. The Global Methodist Church. The Global Methodist Church unveiled its new name, logo, and website on Monday, uh, days after the United Methodist Church announced once again that it was postponing its May 2020 meeting that was set to consider the proposal to split. That puts the launch of the planned denomination at least a year and a half away. The, the United Methodist Church's General Conference, is, its global decision-making body, is scheduled to meet August 29th to September 26, 2022 at the Minneapolis Convention Center in Minneapolis. Shout out to all my Minnesotans. I'm sorry, I just had to throw that in there. Um, delegates are expected to take up a proposal to split the denomination called the Protocol of Reconciliation and Grace Through Separation. Um, the proposal negotiated by 16 United Methodist bishops and advocacy group leaders from across theological divides will create a new traditional Methodist denomination that is the global Methodist church that will receive $25 million over the next four years. Individual churches and annual conferences could choose to join the new entity, otherwise they'll remain in the existing denomination by default. Calls to split one of the largest denominations in the United States have grown since the 2019 special session of the General Conference approved the so-called traditional plan, strengthening its bans on the ordination and marriage of LGBTQ United Methodists. At the time of the 2019 special session, Boyette's WCA made it clear it planned to split from the United Methodist Church if delegates to the special session had not approved the traditional plan. It's pretty interesting to see um, what these denominations are going through and how they're handling certain situations, which is something that we'll talk about in context to what our main topic is today. Um, hopefully, if it be the Lord will and we're still doing the Amen Corner podcast, we can uh, look at an update in 2022 and be able to see how all of this plays out. So, with that being said, um, over the month of February, we covered a lot of... Um, Black History Month highlights when we got through with our trending topics um, that really gave us the opportunity to highlight important figures in black history um, and directly following Black History Month is Women's History Month so we say Happy Women's History Month to all of our women and especially to our black women we love y'all so um, with all that being said we wanted to be able to take time out of this podcast and to highlight uh, special women of faith and women in the ministry who have made great and important strides in the black church. And the first individual that we're going to highlight is Bishop Vashti McKenzie. Bishop McKenzie was born on May 28, 1947 in Baltimore, Maryland. She is the daughter of Samuel Edward Smith and Ida Murphy Peters. Um, she was named after her maternal grandmother Vashti Turley Murphy, who was one, and I thought this was interesting, Josh, who was one of the 22 women who founded the Delta Sigma Theta Sorority in 1913 while a student at Howard University. That, yeah, that, that's amazing. Yeah, thanks. So after graduating with her degree, Mackenzie pursued journalism as a career, 
She worked at WYCB Radio and was the host of an R&B show. She later was promoted to station manager, which was a position that few women held at the time. She continued in broadcasting for several years. She also wrote a column for the African American entitled The McKenzie Report. Shout out to all the broadcast journalists out there. She was really doing it. She was station manager at a radio station and also working on the column. Wow. Um, <coughs> after she graduated, she felt her call into the ministry and began studies at the Howard University School of Divinity, where she obtained a Master of Divinity. She was ordained as an itinerant deacon in 1981 and served as a full minister and, uh, and was ordained as a full minister, excuse me, in 1984. She later completed a doctorate in ministry from the United Theological Seminary in Ohio. In 2000, McKenzie made the decision to run for election for the position of bishop in her denomination. As a first-time candidate, McKenzie had to explain to church leaders and members why she was qualified to be the first woman bishop. In an interview for the Christian Post in 2019, she noted that running for bishop meant helping people to take a look at your ministerial track record and your pastorate. The kind of things that you have done, you know, she explained, being able to get that message out, being able to show people that it's not just me being female, that I've had experiences. I'm qualified and take a look at how God has blessed our ministry and an indication of what we can do in the future. There are 42 candidates for bishop in the election, two of whom were women. And in addition to McKenzie, Reverend Karen Tyler Guidry, the first woman to serve as presiding elder in the AME, also ran for election. And she was elected to the bishopric in 2004. McKenzie received the second highest number of votes when the General Council of the AME Church voted in July at the National Convention in Cincinnati. In her acceptance speech, she is quoted by saying, because of God's favor, the stained glass ceiling has been pierced and broken. She was consecrated as the 117th bishop in the AME Church and became the woman, and became the first woman, excuse me, to be elevated to the episcopate. And this is something that I thought was interesting because she mentioned this in the uh, Black Church documentary, which we gave a review of in our, was that our previous episode, Josh? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm losing track yeah, of it. definitely was. I'm losing track of which episodes we're doing. But, um, yeah, in that previous, in that episode, in that uh, documentary, I should say, she did mention that she also said in her speech, and I'm paraphrasing here, that she was standing in the place of all the women who worked in the church and who were anointed to be preachers and to be pastors and to be bishops, but they did not receive the title. And I thought that was extremely, that was an extremely powerful statement to make. And in 2005, she became the titular head of the AME Church, again making history, this time as the first woman to lead the denomination. And she was the host bishop of the 2016 AME General Conference. So we thank God for the life and the uh, great triumphs of Bishop Vashti McKenzie. And we're going to be highlighting, like we said uh, earlier, we're going to be highlighting women in the ministry all through the month of March. And we're also going to be including a special episode setting women in ministry and we hope to have some special guests that'll be a part of that episode all right so let's go ahead and get into this main topic and i want to preface this with this um i'm going to do my best to leave uh, my personal opinions and how i feel and who i want uh to be victorious in this election and as far as um i just want to be able to take the time and just look analytically at how the church handled the situation and what the church could have done differently as far as a public relations standpoint, which is, which we'll touch on in our million dollar question as far as what could have been done to be able to, pre- to prevent some of the things that we saw go on. So, it, like I said, if you've listened to last week's episode, 
you know that right about this time, the Church of God in Christ is um, going through the process of our quadrennial election. A quadrennial election is an election that the Church of God in Christ is constitutionally mandated to have every four years. Um, this election is uh, extremely important because it is the election for the leaders of our church, specifically the presiding bishop of the church, the general board members of the church, which has the, uh, the board of directors, and also many other important offices. Um, this is a pretty historical year because it is the first time in a long time, as far as I'm concerned, um, I'm, a, I'm not really a, that much of a history buff on as far as the quadrennial elections go, but this is the first time ever, I think, that we have had a quadrennial election that did not take place at the Holy Convocation. Usually the Holy Convocation is the time that we, which is uh, usually within the week before Thanksgiving or the first or second week in November, in which we usually come together after the convocation has concluded and the vote is processed that way. Um, due to the fact of the COVID-19 pandemic and to the fact that we were not able to meet in person, we could not have said quadrennial election at the convocation. So after many talks, after many debates, it was scheduled that our holy convocation, or not, excuse me, that our quadrennial election would take place on Tuesday, February 27th. So when the election was scheduled for Tuesday, February 27th, um, there were some technical issues that did arise during that moment. Um, there were many delegates who were not able to get on, who were not able to log on and cast their votes to be able to decide the next leaders of our church. Um, that caused a very great problem, which also became a trending topic in the black church because of the fact that the Church of God in Christ is such a large denomination and because of the fact that this is such a historical election and the fact that it is not taking place at the Holy Convocation. And also because this is the first time ever that we have had a presiding bishop, Bishop Charles Edward Blake, who has decided not to seek re-election in the up-and-coming years. Um, and will not run for, not will not run again for the office of presiding bishop. Essentially, the door is wide open, so anybody on the board could run for the open seat of presiding bishop. So, because of the fact that this is an extremely historical election, it seemed like all eyes were on us, and of course, the systems did not, or were not able to handle the large amount of traffic that was coming through on the online servers. So, after we get that report. The General Assembly meets and they officially conclude on March 2nd being the date that they wanted to have the election. Uh, we reported on that the last episode and we reported also on the fact that um, one of the general board members, Bishop Brandon Porter, and one of the and the chairman of the General Assembly, Bishop Thuston, had both released official statements. Well, not, well Bishop Thuston's was more so of a flyer, I should say, that essentially was talking about a lot of the irregularities that were experienced in the voting system and of course that there would be a um, meeting with the general board and the general assembly in order to figure out where we move on from here. Well, we were looking for that announcement by the time that we concluded that episode and we got that announcement and more when that episode was completed. Around 11 o'clock that night, um, almost somewhat out of nowhere, but if, if you really weren't paying attention, you were expecting that this was going to happen. Um, bishop Charles E. Blake, our current presiding bishop, um, got on the Church of God in Christ Facebook Live and essentially came out and said that the General Assembly chairman did not have the right to come out and specifically talk about the irregularities of the 
uh, general election and also said that he had no right to say that it was a cyber attack and refuted his claims that it was a cyber attack. He also said, and this is, I quote, this is um, a direct transcript of what he said in that video. He said, um, under the constitutional authority of the general board section B, 4B, the general board and I are calling for a special session of the general assembly on April 6, 2021 to discuss the quadrennial election and other related matters. Um, he said previously, or uh, before that, that he said, I'm asking for every bishop, listen to the verbiage that I'm saying here, I'm asking for every bishop, superintendent, pastor, elder, supervisor, district missionary, evangelist, lay member, all of you guys' children, to join with the general board and I as we call for a postponement of this virtual election. The present agenda is forcing an election in the coming days despite consequences without and without transparency is unacceptable. Postponing the election will give us time to address this matter. So because of the verbiage that he used in that specific statement and because of the way that he refuted what the General Assembly chairman had previously said in his flyer and also in his statement that he released, um, it kind of sent shockwaves not only around the Church of God in Christ world, but around the uh, general consensus of the black church in general. Um, I was so shocked that I literally sent Josh the message. I literally sent Josh the video and I was like, yo, he just fried up the General Assembly chairman. <laughs> like, that's crazy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was pretty interesting to see that. But um, as time went on, people started to look more analytically into what the Constitution had said. Um, if you are a um, certain member of the Church of God in Christ, you have access well not it's more accessible now i should say than it was back in the day but um in our official manual which i have next to me if you hear these pages rustling in our official manual of the church of god in christ um there is an official copy of our constitution now here's the thing there was a when people went back to look at the constitution in order to be able to see what part of the constitution that bishop blake referenced um, they noticed that there was an irregularity between what the Constitution said and what Bishop Blake said. Bishop Blake referenced, like he said, on um, in Section B for I'm I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not going to get these terminologies right. But essentially, it was on. If, if you're looking at the manual, it would be on page five, Section B. It it would say it would be page five, Section A, Clause B. I guess that's the right way to say that. Is the um is he was referring to a part that said, um, well, that's what he, I'm sorry, I'm looking at a different part, but essentially he was um, referring to a point that the Constitution states that the presiding bishop and the general board have the special right and a special ability to be able to call a special session for the um, general assembly. So if you read in section A, part A, it says that the presiding, this is the part that people started to raise their eyebrows on. It says the presiding bishop shall be the chief executive officer of the Church of God in Christ. The presiding bishop shall preside over all sessions of the general board and have the power and authority to conduct the executive functions of the Church of God in Christ when neither the general board nor the general assembly is in session. All mm. such action taken by the presiding bishop shall be subject to the approval of by a majority of the members of the general board mm -hmm. and subject to the will of the general assembly. 
So it's a little bit different for those of you who are not a part of the Church of God in Christ. We are not really ran like the Catholic Church, for example. The Catholic Church, in the Catholic Church, the Pope is the uh, the be all end all. His teachings are infallible, and his decisions are final. There's not really a governing body that he has to answer to, or to uh, um, or to specifically uh, attest to when it comes to the decisions that he makes or the things that he says about the church. Our church is a little bit different. Um, our constitution was written by our founder and along with other people, Bishop Charles Harrison Mason, and it was specifically written like the U.S. American government in the sense that there are checks and balances. There are some things that the presiding bishop can do that will be able to override the General Assembly, which is our judiciary, which is our executive legislative body, I should say, of the Church of God in Christ. And then we have the presiding bishop and the general board, which is the executive branch. We have the general assembly, which is the legislative branch. And we have the judiciary board, which, which is pretty self-explanatory. It serves as the judicial branch of our church. So we're set up in that specific way in order to, ins in order to be able to give an accurate um, the distribution of power and the checks and balances system. So essentially, when after looking at that part of the specific constitution, there were some individuals that came back and said that presiding Bishop Blake was in the wrong as far as what he had said and as far as what he had stated as far as his overall power and authority that he had as presiding bishop. Yes, he does have the authority to schedule a special session of the General Assembly. But the problem was, since the fact, the, uh, the fact of the matter was that the General Assembly was already in session due to the fact that the quadrennial election was in progress of being postponed and being changed. So because of the fact that the General Assembly is in session, the presiding bishop and the general board do not hold and control the same power that they usually would if the General Assembly was not in session at the time. So that also raised a lot of eyebrows amongst people as far as to be able to guess and speculate why Bishop Blake would come out and say something along the lines of that. So, many people began to rack their brains around, oh, uh, is, is Bishop going on a power trip? Is Many people were starting to have their own speculations as to why Bishop Blake had said that. And it got to the point where there were some individuals in the General Assembly, and I thought this was very interesting, uh, of the fact that there were specifically jurisdictional uh, bishops who were coming out, who were delegates of the General Assembly and knew the Constitution, and pretty much, uh, for lack of better terms and inflating terms, fried up the entire presiding, <laughs> fried up the General Assembly, the presiding bishop, and the general board, and called members of the general board, quote-unquote, lame duck officials, who were serving past their time and were essentially saying that they were out of place to be able to try and make decisions on when and how the election would go. So, there's a whole lot of talking that was going on between the time that Bishop Blake had released that official announcement up until now. Um, I want to say around Thursday or Friday of last week, it seems like we got towards a resolution because um, there was a statement that was released from Bishop Blake and from Bishop Thuston, who serves as our General Assembly Chairman. It was a joint statement that was put out on behalf of the both of them. Um, I want to read just a little bit of it. I'm not going to go into all of it because time won't allow me to. So um, it says that the enormous organizational and logistical challenges presented by the COVID-19 pandemic have disrupted, have disrupted excuse me, the normal calendar of events within our great church. 
We have not been able to meet in person as we historically have to conduct the critical business of our church, which is what I alluded to earlier in the um, when I was discussing the topic. Technology has allowed us to persevere, but that has not been without challenges, as you know. The use of technology has required us both to carefully consider our constitutional duties and responsibilities regarding the quadrennial election with an unprecedented virtual context. Um, today, out of I'll skip that part, but it essentially says that we agreed to select a high-integrity third-party vendor who will administer the quadrennial election under the supervision of the Election Commission. By Friday of this week, a joint committee of the General Assembly and the General Board working together will select a vendor from a list of extremely capable potential vendors that have already been identified. Further, we agree that the quadrennial election will be held this month. We are both satisfied that this agreement will result in a fair and honest election that represents the high standard of integrity that the Church of God in Christ must always operate within. More details will be conveyed to you as expeditiously as possible. And there have been some, like I said, there has been some reports that it will come in on the, um, that it will be on March the 20th, and also that it will be on, um, or on April, or sometime, who knows, but there's a whole lot of folk that, really don't excuse me for this there's a whole lot of folks that really don't know what they're talking about that's just been talking so we really won't know until the officials officially come out with the uh, um with the actual date that we will have it but according to that email uh that was sent out uh, that official statement i should say there will be an election coming up this month so hopefully hopefully not like i said in the last episode but there will be some sort of resolve to this that we'll be able to come to and that there will be a solution through all of this that has happened. Alright, so with that being said, let's go ahead and get into the million dollar question. Um, the million dollar question is, what would the Church of God in Christ have done differently in order to reduce controversy in the situation? And this isn't in my notes, but I'm going to go ahead and say this. Um, the Church of God in Christ, when it comes to our delegates, and those of you who are Church of God in Christ will agree with me when I say this, that most of our delegates who are voting, um, who are able to vote, I should say, are not very familiar with the inner workings of a computer. Um, there were certain things that did take place, but as far as, I'm not a voting delegate, but as far as an individual from the outside looking in, I don't think that there was a lot of um, work that should have been put in to be able to make sure that those older individuals are able and are proficient enough. And I don't think, honestly, judging by the pandemic, it would have been safe enough for somebody to come and help them along with that. So I think that the best way that would have that we would have been able to handle this election was the fact that every jurisdiction has a headquarters building and i think that the best way we could have handled this the the ideal way i should say we could have handled this is to have is to either have those delegates from each jurisdiction come in to the to the um jurisdictional headquarters or have the national church send out ballots to the delegates homes so that they can mail in the ballots to their jurisdictional um, headquarters and the secretary of each jurisdiction could have verified those ballots. Those ballots could have been sent to the headquarters of the Church of God in Christ. It could have been counted and that would have been that. And I think that personally there was not enough effort to, from, the, from the outside looking at I, I don't, I'm not a delegate and I don't know how much work was put in, but it looked like there was not enough adequate work that was put in in order to be able to fortify and make sure the individuals who were voting had, were proficient with the system, 
and honestly there was a um report that came out i forgot to mention this there was a report that came out from bishop sedgwick daniels that said that there were, that said that the, um he had offered to get a forensic analyst to come in and give a consultation about the election and the forensic analyst had even mentioned that the best thing that the church should have done was to go and do a test run of the system in order to make sure that individuals could get on and could vote properly and from my understanding the church did not take that option for whatever reason I don't know so I think that was that was something that also contributed to the irregularities that we saw in the election but if we are to do it online I believe that it should have been done through a third party as was stated in the email and also I believe concerning the statements that Bishop Thuston made and Bishop Blake made that the Church of God in Christ needs a true public relations chair I believe that um, and I understand why Bishop Blake said, I'm not going to specifically say that I agree with what he said concerning um, constitutional matters, but I do agree that the Church of God in Christ um, presiding bishop is the face of the Church of God in Christ. Literally, if you look at any poster of the National Church, his face is in, <laughs> usually in the top corner. So because of that, people are looking to him in order to, um, in order to say something in order to be able to give his opinion. And I believe because of the fact that there were so many individuals and even um, personal opinions that were going and flying around and certain um, inerrant facts and opinions that were going around as far as the social media world, then in a sense Bishop Blake's hand was forced to be able to say something on the behalf of the church. And I just I personally don't agree with what he said as far as the Constitution, but I do agree with the fact that he did have to say something in order to be able to bring clarity to individuals who were confused about the ongoing processes of the election. So, Josh, um, I know you're not Church of God in Christ, like uh, what, what Pastor Phil said, Shiloh is, is uh, Methobapticostal. So, <laughs> so uh, from the outside looking in, what do you think could have been done to been able to uh, smoothen the situation? All right, so yeah, my answer would be public relations and, you know, basically having, you know, essential communication. And I believe that's actually very key when it comes down to it because, you know, you got to understand that when it comes to the problem, <laughs> like, I feel like the communication is the problem because, you know, they're trying to figure out how, you know, to figure out, like, the servers. And also, not even just the servers because it crashed, right? But it's also communication when it comes along with the, um, with the staff. Yeah. and um, the delegates of the church. Yeah, and I definitely feel what you're saying and um, as far as the whole communication things goes. Communication is everything. You can't have one individual saying something and another individual saying another thing because that just causes more confusion and then people get upset and get in their feelings and, and that just creates a whole lot of problems that just don't need to happen. So, with that being said, hopefully by the end of this month we'll know who the new leadership of the church is and we'll be able to have a resolve to this entire situation. All right, so I know this episode was a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit shorter than our other ones, but um, hopefully we said something that was of substance. Hopefully you enjoyed the podcast. Um, I know y'all are sick of me saying this, but hopefully, with if not by the time this episode airs, hopefully within the week, um, you'll be able to stream the Amen Corner podcast from different platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and we'll be expanding our reach there. Um, connect with us on our social media at the Amen Corner Podcast. Um, connect with us on Facebook. That's our Instagram, excuse me, and our uh, Facebook at the Amen Corner Podcast. Um, we're still working on getting a Twitter and some other things in there. 
But I just want to say thank you so much for uh, tuning into our episode, and we hope you have a great weekend. My name is Mike Purvis. And my name is Joshua Powell. Thank you, and you uh, guys all have a great weekend. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you act so sad? Get out of your bag. Serving God in black. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you act so sad? Get out of your bag. Serving God in black. I only serve one God. One nation of the